This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back to another episode of the Clue Jets podcast. We're with Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, 0-3. Not a great start to the season for the Jets and... I guess if you listen to Jets Twitter, I mean, Joe Douglas should be fired. Robert Sala should be gone. The Jets are going to be drafting a new quarterback next year. I, I mean, I think the whole the whole ship is sinking, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Mike LaFleur can go. Um, Corey Davis, if he can get a six-round pick, that'd be really good. Um, and maybe Becton, too, while we're at it. A um, couple six-rounders would be good for those two guys. So I think it is probably time to, you know, clean house. Yeah, why not? Just blow it up again. I mean, that yeah. seems to be the, the common sentiment. I mean, look. It's certainly been a rough start for the Jets. And I think you, you and I both knew it was going to be a process. I think you and I both had them around six to, I mean, six to eight wins was, you know, I think in retrospect, maybe an optimistic, there's still time, um, but it was going to be a process. And all you kind of wanted to see this season is development. Well, they've certainly, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, in PE class, my freshman year of high school, they would do these fitness tests. And it was graded on how well you improved. So everybody would just bomb the first one. So then the next ensuing ones, you would automatically improve. And so I guess that's just what we're hoping the Jets are doing. They've bombed the first half, the first three games of the season. And now anything from here is good. Anything from here is improvement. Um, But I mean, I don't think obviously it's time to blow it all up. I think the one thing that, that I do believe is that the people in charge of the Jets are made of the right stuff. It's been a decade of, of misfortune and ineptitude by this franchise. And I think the fan base is certainly and rightfully so frustrated, but, and they've heard this for the last 10 years, but us preaching patience doesn't help anything, but it is true that these guys aren't responsible for the last decade of the, uh, of this Jets mess. Maybe the Johnsons are, but Robert Sala, Joe Douglas and, and Zach Wilson aren't. And so they deserve some time, but obviously uh, a lot of negatives here and a lot to clean up. Michael, we didn't do a podcast last week. My apologies. I was sick all week and we kind of just said, all right, we'll do one after the Broncos game. Hopefully that it was going to be better. And it was actually in some ways even worse. So we have two weeks of of poor play to to talk about here, but let's focus on Sunday. We have a ton of mailbag questions. We thank everybody who submitted them. They were awesome. We had to cut a few, but a lot of great mailbag questions this week. Before we hop into those, Michael, I just want your initial reaction to the start of the jet season um, and your actual serious takes on, on what to take away from, from this rocky start yeah well look i think that all the uh, all the disappointment is definitely warranted regardless of the stage that you're at as a franchise a loss like that one is um it's never acceptable because look even the biggest of underdogs in the league are not expected to lose by 26 points and get shut out even last year when the jets were 17 point underdogs to the rams no one's supposed to get 
blown out to that extent. So um, for them to go 0-3 in that fashion, I did not expect them to win that game, but I did think they had enough matchups in their favor to where they could be competitive in that game. So I think the disappointment is definitely warranted. We all bought into the hype of this offseason, not that this team was going to compete for a championship or even the playoffs, but I think we all figured that we'd see a competitive team that looked a lot more competent than the one that we saw last year and throughout the first half of the previous season. And so far we haven't necessarily got that. And I, I do think though, you know, the first two games had, you know, their share of positives against the Panthers, the team's getting blown out and they find a way to get back into it, make it a one score game and your quarterback plays pretty well. I think for the most part, everyone was really excited about what Zach Wilson did in that game. Um, but the rest of the team around him struggled. Then in the second game, it's the opposite. The whole, most of the team plays really well. Wilson struggles badly. Um, but two games in, you have plenty of positives to talk about. There, you know, even though the team wasn't as competitive as you would hope, um, between the first two games, you saw flashes from just about every position group. But this game just had very, very few positives to talk about. And there are small ones you could pick out here and there, but on both sides of the ball, there just wasn't much to like. And it did have that same old Jets kind of feel in terms of that type of loss where the team just is never in the game. Um, You know, you come in, the team comes in overmatched, they immediately go down and they never sort of compete. Um, It it had that sort of feel and it did. uh, I think we all hoped this would be a team that under this coaching staff um, with some of the talent that they've added, that they wouldn't have losses like that anymore and that we wouldn't have to be subjected to these very boring, very embarrassing losses. Um, So it's really tough and it's not acceptable. There are a lot of players who we will talk about who have to start playing a lot better to start justifying their contracts, um, securing their future with this team. So all the frustration is extremely warranted. Absolutely it is. But at the same time, it's still only three games into the star of a new regime, a new head rookie head coach, rookie offensive coordinator, rookie defensive coordinator, rookie quarterback, the most rookie starters and the most rookie, uh, most rookie offensive starters and defensive starters in the league. So all those things are still true. We're only three games into it. This was a really hard matchup. Um, Again, it doesn't excuse getting blown out to that extent, but um, still another really tough matchup to start the season. I think um, the first two games were tougher than we anticipated. Um, the Panthers are better than I think most people expected. Um, I think we overlooked the impact of Zach Wilson facing Bill Belichick in his second game. Um, then going on the road to face Vic Fangio is a tough matchup in your third game. So I think, you know, to, to completely give up on this, the future of this team right now, it's way too early for that. But at the same time, I think this team's short-term prospects, you know, their possibility of maybe being a 500 team this year for sure takes a big hit with the way they started the season. But at the same time, it never really was about winning games this year. It's about just development, finding positives, finding um, ways that this team can get itself on a track to take a step up next year and the year after that to become a sustainable winner. Um, And there still are some things that are happening um, to accomplish that, but this game, and that's the biggest problem with this loss to Denver is that there wasn't a lot of that. There wasn't a lot of positive, uh, positive development that supplements the future of the franchise. And losses like that are, are what are problematic. If you're, not, if you're losing and you're also not making your future better, then you're just wasting your time. You're going backwards. 
um, and no one's benefiting at all. So it's definitely um, a very problematic loss, but at the same time, I still think it's it's way too early to act like the sky is falling. But at the same time, yeah. it's got to be better than this because yeah. this was embarrassing and unacceptable without a doubt. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like, I don't blame any of the fans for being frustrated because right. I'm, I'm frustrated too. So it's like, yeah. I completely understand that. I think that, you know, I've been seeing some tweets where it's like, you know, it shouldn't take five years to rebuild a program. When you're as bad as the Jets have been, particularly at drafting, it does take some time. There's a reason Joe Douglas got a six-year contract. And I'm not saying Joe Douglas is perfect and should be absolved from any blame because he deserves a lot of blame for the product that he's put on the field with the offensive line. I mean, if he's going to be an offensive line guru, these are all five of his guys. I'm not saying all five of them were his projected long-term starters, but he didn't do enough this offseason. I mean, the early returns are that you're going to get Zach Wilson killed and we're going to be watching Mike White play quarterback at some point this season. Um, so Joe Douglas deserves blame, but I still do believe in him. You know, I, I still think his process for the most part has been good. He's an adult in the room. I believe, you know, I believe in, in the people that he surrounded himself with in the front office. And I really like what they did this, in this year's offseason. I mean, they've, you know, the Carl Lawson injury was massive, but I really do like what they did in the draft. And I think the thing is, is like, you look at Kyle Shanahan's first year in San Francisco, and we're not saying Robert Sala is going to be as good of a coach as Kyle Shanahan. I mean, we certainly hope so, but they started 0-9. I mean, and then they obviously they think they ripped off like six or the last seven games or something, but it's, it's gonna, we kind of knew it was gonna start rough. I think you and I were hoping they were gonna win one of their first four. I don't think they win next week. I think they probably start on four, but you do wanna see that progress. There are, I, I do think it gets easier um, after this. I, I, the first three weeks of this, this schedule was some of the toughest defenses they're gonna face all season. And yeah, rookie quarterback and a rookie OC, rookie head coach. So they sound like excuses. Um, you know, people shouldn't be absolved of, of blame, but there should be a, an understanding that it's like Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, and Zach Wilson are not, you know, shouldn't be blamed for the errors of Mike Tannenbaum, Rex Ryan, John Idzik, Todd Bowles, Adam Gase, Mike McCagnan. You know, this is uh, a decade long of frustration, but really Douglas has had two years and last year he was tearing down the roster. And this year he's trying to build it forward. I like what he's done, but he deserves some criticism. Um, and it's, it's such a young team too, that you're hoping that you're going to see some of these young guys who are maybe struggling right now, get it together. You know, I'm looking at like the young linebackers as the season goes on. And then next year, you're looking at a team full of guys who've played a full year, had a lot of playing time. Um, and that includes Zach Wilson, who's a guy. And they said this in the broadcast where it's like, you know, at BYU, that offense is second nature to him in the NFL. Not only is he dealing with the speed of the game and a porous offensive line and receivers, who can't get separation, but this is a, an incredibly complicated scheme with a first time play caller and it's not like the back of his hand yet. I mean, he just doesn't have that advantage that a lot of guys have when they go into their second year in a system. So I think fans are probably tired of us preaching patience, but it's pretty much the only message you can give right now that look, I think that this, I do believe in the direction the jets are heading in and the people they have running the ship, but it certainly the product in the field is not going to win them any games anytime soon. Um, but yeah, you know, for look. sure. It, it's just about being rational and balanced with anything. Like, Be disappointed, be frustrated. I am tired of watching football where there's nothing to cheer about for three hours. It's awful. Be disappointed, criticize them. Um, it's terrible. But at the same time, just understand that a lot of our frustration does come from the past 10 years, the past two years with Gase. Um, and that that doesn't really have to do have anything to do with Zach Wilson, with Robert Sala, all these guys who did just get here and are not attached to the struggles of the past few years. Um, you know, 
our frustrate our frustration is attached to that but they're in the beginning and even with joe douglas who has done a lot of stuff you can criticize which we will talk about at the same time even with him he even though he's been here for technically this is his third season he's kind of at the beginning too because he had to retool restart um, and get on the same page on the same timeline with this new regime this new franchise quarterback so he's early in his tenure too and they gave him like you said a six-year contract for a reason so he could take that long-term approach and be patient with it and build something that's sustainable um so it's frustrating i'm just absolutely everyone go off you know send your tweets just scream out your window do whatever um and it's all warranted but at the same time i just think it's too early to truly be burying people um you know declaring lafleur is not going to be good declaring wilson's not going to be good declaring that Douglas doesn't know what he's doing. Um, are we seeing some small signs that maybe if this doesn't change the way that those three guys are performing other than Wilson, I think it's too much too early then. Yeah, for sure. They've got to be better, but at the same time, just it's three games in a 17 game season in a multi-year process. Let's let it play out. Yeah. And the, the other thing I think about when, when you talk about the floor is, you know, a guy we were big fans of on this podcast um, Arthur Smith, who is, you know, say what you want about him as a head coach, but as an offensive coordinator in Tennessee, uh, he became one of the best offensive coordinators in all football. And after, you know, eight weeks or so, people wanted Arthur Smith fired. I mean, it does take time. It's hard to be a rookie quarterback in this league, but it's also hard to be a first-time play caller. So it's just one of those things where it's going to take time. And Joe Douglas, you know, for people who want to put him on the hot seat, he's not getting fired for at the earliest – I'll put this the earliest I could see would be at the end of 2023. If the jets absolutely suck this year. And like, if this is how they play for the next 14 weeks or whatever, you know, maybe at the end of 2022, but he's got the owner's ear. He's going to get a chance to see his plan through. And the goal of the plan was basically to build the jets into one of the best cultures in sports and to be long-term winners. And that's not a bunch of band-aid contracts and a bunch of overpriced veterans to try to be, fun when you know more games for one or two years and have it all fall apart he's trying to build a, a program here you know it's it's like college football in that sense where the jets are trying to build a program and it's going to take another year i think i i'll put it this way though i'm not at the point yet well obviously not yet but this season i don't see myself cheering for losses unless mike white is playing but as long as zach wilson's playing this is the head coach I believe in. I want him to try to establish some sort of winning identity. And so I'll be cheering for the Jets until the very end to win games. Even if that means they're, they're fighting for five wins at the end of the season, I, I want to see this team move in the right direction. And I think they will. I do think they'll get it turned around. It's a tough start to the season, but I, I do think that they'll pick up some wins here in the next few weeks. I don't think it's going to happen this week, next week, but I, I like their matchup against Atlanta. I like Cincinnati. You know, I, There are a few games here that are coming up where I think the Jets can, can start to pick up some Ws and maybe get some momentum going. Um, well, let's talk, let's get, hop right into the mailbag because I think this is going to cover pretty much everything that we wanted to talk about here, Michael. Um, I, I think this this first one we put at the top just because I think it encapsulates exactly how Jets Twitter is feeling right now. So this is from at CD underscore 2K. Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Ty Johnson need to be benched ASAP by the Jets. Will they? Johnson, outside of his own drops, has been in on virtually every hit on the QB. Elijah Moore and Davis, by virtue of running poor or lazy routes, have been responsible for all but one interception, dropped or tipped passes to defenders. That's not happening. I mean, I think Michael Carter will get more reps over Ty Johnson, but Corey Davis, I, I still believe that he's a very good football or he's a very good receiver in this league. He's not an unborn receiver. I mean, we knew that. I think he's a great fit in this offense. 
I think he's a good, a very good receiver who's on verge of maybe being great if this offense can get going, but they need something outside of him, you know, and Elijah Moore, look, I mean, it's been a slow start to the season. He's in the concussion protocol. We'll see when he's back. Um, but this is a guy who is arguably the best player on the field in training camp, which doesn't matter yet, but this is a guy that has a ton of talent and the Jets are going to keep trying to develop him. And I think you're going to start to see him make some plays. Um, but yeah, none of that is happening. I mean, Michael, I, I guess, how do you respond to any of this? Uh, I guess, you know, let's take it partly serious. Let's talk about Ty Johnson. Cause we know Davis and more aren't gonna, going anywhere, but Ty Johnson, Michael, what have been your thoughts on the, the start of the season? Cause I think you and I kind of both felt like he was a good fitness offensive scheme and he had a good preseason. It's been a bit of a tough start um, for, for Ty Johnson, specifically in pass protection. Yeah, I, I think that I'm just kind of – and I was tweeting about it during the game a little bit, but I'm just kind of concerned about the way that LaFleur is using him because Ty Johnson was the primary primary third down back in this game with Tevin Coleman out. Um, so, you know, Johnson and Carter were playing pretty much all the reps at running back. Um, and Johnson – is, was the third down back in this game, even though I think we all know that Carter is a much better third down fit than Johnson. He's a good pass blocker, although he did give up a sack in this game, to be fair, Carter did. Um, but just in terms of their skill set overall outside of this game, we know that Carter is a better pass catcher and pass blocker. Um, but Johnson kept getting third down reps in this game, and he was in on at least two sacks that I remember. Um, I believe a few more, pre- uh, at least one more pressure in addition to that. Um, and he also was not productive as a receiver. I believe he had six receiving yards on five targets, which is absolutely terrible. So um, it, I think they need to, or LaFleur needs to just kind of admit that Johnson should not be out there in third down. Early downs, first down, second down, um, by all means, he's done an okay job this season. Um, he hasn't shown a ton of vision but he's taking the handoff, taking, um, finding the first hole that he sees, hitting it for three to six yards pretty consistently. Um, and that's nice on first, second down, but um, he really should not be having any passing game responsibilities, right. whether that's pass blocking or running routes. Uh, I don't think he should be doing that. All right, from at Ally underscore Jets, what are the main causes for the Jets O-line struggles? They're grading fairly well, but communication and consistency is a major issue. I think in, in week two, they looked fairly solid. Week one was obviously a nightmare, and this past week wasn't very good either. I think, you know, look, they don't have Becton out there who didn't have the, the greatest week one, but I still thought he was solid. I think that's big. Although George Fan actually seems more comfortable on the left side, ironically enough. He's playing all right. I think the biggest issues, obviously, are in the interior. I think AVT is doing pretty well in the run game, I would say, but the pass game, he does seem to be struggling at times. I think McGovern is, you know, th- this is a, a spot you can maybe give Douglas um, some criticism for because I, I, you know, I don't hate the process to be fair, because in Denver, it seemed like McGovern was ascending into a top 10 center and here for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or scheme or whatever is going on with him, he just can't seem to get it fully together. So, and he seemed like a guy who'd be a very good scheme fit. So I don't really know what's going on with McGovern, but what I do know is that Greg Van Roten is awful. And if the jets had any sort of interior depth, he should be sitting on the bench, but I think he's, he's a liability for the jets up front and the Morgan Moses, um he is what you know you see what you get i mean he's not a long-term solution but i think he's been playing fine at tackle but the biggest issues are you know the three guys in the middle for the jets um specifically in pass blocking michael what are your thoughts on on the performance of the offensive line and what do you think exactly is going wrong yeah well i think first of all there are some issues outside the offensive line to talk about and like we talked about johnson the skill positions 
are part of it. It's been him. It's been the tight ends. Um, those guys have not held up their end. And Carter did. I like his pass blocking. I think long-term he will be good there, but he did give up a sack as well. So um, the skill positions have been a big part of it as well. I think Wilson does kind of make it look a little bit worse than it is. Um, he's taken the most uh, the most sacks in the league after four and a half seconds. He's taken the most sacks in the league that um, were blamed on the quarterback by PFF. Um, he's near the top of the league and uh, the average time from snap to sack average time from snap to throw. So they're definitely, and, and these are just numbers that kind of represent what I definitely think I see when I watch. Um, and I feel like most people would agree that, you know, there are instances where he's trying to do a little bit too much extending the play evading defenders. And I think he is kind of in that feeling out process of maybe at BYU, there are defenders that you could hit with a little jab step and a head fake and evade him to get to the sideline. But an NFL linebacker blitzing up the A-gap, maybe you can't get away from him as easily as you could in college. So I think he's still kind of going through that process of knowing which defenders he can beat to create space for himself and which ones he can't. Um, and we've seen some sacks that, you know, obviously they're giving up pressure, which you don't want to see in the first place. Um, but in terms of the sack totals, I think Wilson does have a pretty big hand in that. Um, but yeah, I think that the skill positions, quarterback, it's a little bit of everything. Um, but on the O-line, like you said, it all starts in the interior. I think the tackles have been okay, um, and the run game overall has been okay. But um, McGovern's pickups against blitzes, stunts, very bad. Van Roten one-on-one, very bad. Um, and AVT has had his struggles uh, with both one-on-one matchups and pickups as well. So uh, the interior has been the core of the, the issues. From at New York underscore Nick, when can we start trying a more hurry up offense? Currently nothing is working. When, when does Mike start tinkering around? This is something that I actually very much agree with. And I think part of the reason it wasn't done last week was just the altitude in, in Denver and wanting to run the football, you know, keep the defense off the field and whatnot. Um, but it definitely seems that throughout, let's say the first two weeks, but three weeks, I guess, if you're going to be, be generous is that Zach Wilson looks a lot better in that hurry up offense for whatever reason, he just seems to be able to get in a rhythm get those quick passes off, just keep moving, not having to think as much. I definitely expect Michael Florida to, to throw in some more hurry-up offense. I mean, the danger with that is that you're going to have your defense on the field a lot if, you, if you're going three and out. But it just seems like it's more comfortable for Zach at this point. So I do expect him to start adding it. And the other thing is, is not just tempo-wise, but as the season goes on, you'd imagine the scheme is going to improve because not only is, is Zach Wilson going to get more comfortable, but I do think that they'll throw more in there. I think right now they're, you're seeing a lot of the base concepts of the offense because they're trying, you know, they're installing a system still. I mean, this is still week three. So you're hoping to see as the season goes on that you're going to see more variations of different concepts and go deeper into the playbook. But I definitely think running that hurry up is definitely going to help Zach Wilson out. And I think, you know, there's no excuse to not see it on Sunday, uh, especially, you know, your big underdog, underdog at home against the Titans, try to get Zach in a rhythm and try to get him in a rhythm early too. Don't just save the hurry ups for, for situational football. I mean, the Jets have one field goal in the first half across all three games. I mean, they've just been notoriously slow starters. And I think one of the things that can help that is go hurry up, go hurry up on your first drive. I mean, just get them in a rhythm, move the football, play fast football, and then see what happens. And then, you know, the, the, the key to, to football and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady match that is, is going, you know, playing with a ton of tempo and then slowing the game all the way down. And I think the Jets are doing too much of, of the latter and not enough of the former. Yeah, I definitely think it can be helpful for him because another another part of the O-line issues, which I think 
uh, which I didn't just mention, is I think he has sort of had trouble setting protections. We've seen a lot of unblocked rushers come off the edge, up through the A-gap, and it, obviously you can't on a given play assign blame without actually being on the team in the huddle. Um, but if that's happening pretty consistently, the quarterback is likely a part of it. Uh, and, and you would expect rookie quarterback to struggle with that. So I think if you play hurry up, another big advantage is that, you know, get him to the line quicker, give him more time to scan the defense, um, be able to set the protections, um, make decisions prior to the snap, I think would be helpful for him. So, um, and like you said, to get, get into a better rhythm, better tempo in the first half, um, why not give it a shot? I think it's definitely um, an adjustment that is worth trying. Yeah, this kind of bleeds into to our, our next question from at Say My Nameth, which is an awesome name, by the way. Trying to figure out how bad the play calling is in comparison to what Gase was calling last year. Are we really this bad or is it all in coaching? I think, Michael, you had kind of had an interesting point on Twitter, um, which seems to be that, yeah, this isn't completely true, but Adam Gase, for all his faults, for, for one reason or another, his first drives are actually generally pretty good. I mean, he seemed to be a guy who had a solid opening game plan. And then as soon as the defense adjusted, I mean, he just had nothing and absolutely nothing. Um, LaFleur seems to be struggling with maybe the game plan part of it, or it's just not working right off the bat. Um, not necessarily in this last game, but it seems like once the game gets going, he's more so in the Carolina game, he was able to adjust and kind of get things going. I mean, what are your thoughts on the, on the comparisons to, to Adam Gase? I mean, granted Gase was in his second year. Um, you know, I, I guess LaFleur probably has more talent, um, but Gase had also been calling plays since, you know, 2012 uh, or, or whatnot. What are your thoughts on, on com- the comparisons uh, of maybe one of the worst offenses of all time last year? And then so far, one of the worst offenses throughout three games. Well, I, I actually have a lot of hope for LaFleur. And, and here's the reason why, especially in comparison to Gase, because I feel like with Gase, the struggles were his stagnancy. He never changed it up on a week to week basis. It was the same thing. And his opening scripts were good. We saw that. But, you know, he'd get figured out after those first couple drives. He wouldn't change throughout the game. He wouldn't change throughout the season. And you'd get consistent 14-point performances where the only t- where one of the touchdowns came in the first quarter. Maybe they score in garbage time, whatever. Um, with the floor, though, I feel like his issues throughout the first three games have not been a result of his unwillingness to change. I feel like he's just getting thoroughly outcoached by guys who are more experienced than him. The first game was very execution-based. You know, Elijah Moore drops a deep bomb to start the game. Um, The offensive line could not block Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick. Um, Wilson throws a bad interception. The run run game can't block. The tight ends can't block. Um, I feel like that was more execution-based than LaFleur in the first game. Then the next two games, he's coaching against guys who were coaching in this league before he was born. Bill Belichick and uh, Vic Fangio. Um, But I feel like the willingness to change has been there. LaFleur adjusted after the first game when they got rocked by Carolina with the pressure, and he tried to give Wilson more protection, but Belichick anticipated that, being the more experienced guy, played a very conservative game, um, and beat Wilson or beat LaFleur in the chess match that way. Then against Denver, um, you see sort of a similar thing. LaFleur tries to be a little bit more aggressive, um, and not play as much protection, then Denver's ready for that. And they drop their linebackers and get in the way of the shallow routes that uh, LaFleur is trying to call. Um, but we saw him adjust in the middle of the game, and they got sort of a good, quick passing drive going later on. 
but then he went away from it. So I feel like my hope from LaFleur comes from the fact that we've seen him try different stuff. We've seen him change his approach. I just think so far he's just losing the chess match right. badly against um, guys who are more a lot more experienced than him. So that's why I feel like I have hope for him going forward because yeah. he is willing to change and try different things. He's just got to find that rhythm, find that identity. Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe in the scheme. I mean, we'll see if it's – is this just a Kyle Shannon and Aaron Rodgers thing? But I do think that this is one of the better schemes in football. It's just you have a rookie running it. I mean, in, in both you know meanings of that word, you have a rookie quarterback and a rookie offensive coordinator. I think the thing that I'm frustrated with the floor by is just – I agree with you that he seems to be getting out coach, but he does seem to be making some adjustments. But there are just some easy things where it's like there just aren't enough easy throws for Zach. I mean, I even ag- yep. against Denver – my thought thinking was, okay, this quarterback just had a, a type of game against New England that could scar him for his career, kind of like what we saw with Sam Darnold. Give him an easy game plan. I mean, this is like give him easy throws. You know, ease him into the game, get him comfortable, get him in a rhythm, and then you can start to open things up. But his first pass was like, you know, to, to Corey Davis, which, you know, Wilson completed or whatever, but it was kind of surprising that, that just how they opened up the game, how aggressive they were. It's like, he, you know, he seems to be more comfortable on the, on the move and obviously has the arm talent get him on the move more. I mean, like give him more screens, give him more, you know, throws to the flat. And, you know, we'll talk about Denzel Mims later, but it seems like Zach Wilson, if he's missing, not all the time, but he seems to be missing high. His receivers are having trouble creating some separation. You know, maybe that six, three athletic freak who can run a four third, you know, run a four, three and made some crazy catches last year. Maybe he can provide a bit of a spark to your offense and take some pressure away from Corey Davis. And it's like, the other thing is, and another part we'll, we'll address later is, the tight end is such a crucial part of this offense. I mean, they're playing a ton of 12 personnel, but it's like they don't have the personnel for that. I mean, so they're not really able to run the, the offense in its full vision. They desperately need two tight ends next year. I mean, even if you're going to bring back Tyler Croft, sign a legit veteran and draft somebody relatively high as well, because the, the offense just isn't going to work unless you have any, you know, anybody at tight end. Um, so, you know, my thinking on, on the floor is, a clear upgrade over Gase, even if the, the stats aren't reflecting it yet, just in terms of his process, and he's going to get better. You talked about it with Andy Reid. We've seen it with Kyle Shannon and Arthur Smith. It just takes time as an offensive play caller, you know, whether it's just getting used to the game or your guys getting used to your system. But these things do take time. And I mean, that, you know, Jets fans are rolling their eyes, but it's true. I mean, he just, I'm going to give him a season before I start to really, you know, go in on him. Obviously, if the Jets are playing like this, a month from now, then they deserve plenty of criticism, but it's like it's week three. If they play three really tough defenses, it's not been good enough, but it's not time to, you know, light the house on fire. The thing about the comparisons with Adam Gase is that when Gase came to the Jets, he was in his seventh season as a play caller. LaFleur is doing this for the first time. So I think those the comparisons to Gase are very off base. And again, like I explained, I think the way that they're struggling is different. One guy would not change. This guy is changing but it's he just hasn't been able to win the chess match yet, do the right things, make the right changes. So I think it's definitely going to come, not, not definitely, but I do feel confident it will come in time with Michael Floor. But I think your critiques are right. The biggest thing is that not enough schemed up production. Um, Wilson's only thrown seven screen passes this year, which makes up 6% of his dropbacks. That is the sixth lowest rate among qualified quarterbacks. I don't think that's good at all for a guy in this situation who is throwing a lot of picks has a lot of weight on his shoulders bad pass protection getting in early holes help him out just give him some easy throws um let him get his get his confidence up let the playmakers make plays help those guys out too because 
Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, they're dropping balls, struggling to separate against physical coverage. Give them opportunities, just catch easy passes and make some plays. Um, so I really think they should be scheming up more production um, than, uh, than they have been. So I think that's my biggest critique. Yeah, they're, they're putting so much on Wilson's shoulders. I mean, you look at what the Patriots are doing with Mac Jones. It's like he's just getting free throws. And it's like I, I just I can't comprehend – and maybe there's a smarter football mind than me that can explain this, but it's like, I can't comprehend why the jets just can't give him any more easy. Th- I mean, it seems like, you know, having Tyler Croft front of the flat, you can't do that 12 times in a game, but it's like, you can do that a few times in a game and pick up four yards. It's like, just give him some gimme throws three, four five yards, just so he's completing the ball. He's like, okay, you know, he gets into a bit of a rhythm. I mean, just mentally as a guy who never played quarterback in his life, I can already tell that that, that would just give you some confidence in your arm, but it's like, right off the bat, you're just giving him 15 yard throws over the middle. It's like, let him settle in first. It's a rookie yeah. quarterback. We're talking about going up against some of the best defenses. Yeah. And even play action. They haven't used that much. Only 21% yeah. of his dropbacks. That's 27. Well, it's um, like a, so yeah, I love that. They can do a lot better helping him out, creating things for him. And I love what they did in the preseason. And yes, it's preseason, but it's like his first throw is, you know, they play action left. They rolled out, gave him a quick little dump off to Corey Davis. Davis picks up five yards. Boom. You got Zach Wilson in a rhythm and, you know, you could clearly see the difference if you watch that Giants game or, or even the Packers game or whatever in preseason. And then you watch the last three games. That's where you can really tell the, the difference in the speed of the game because preseason is definitely faster than college. And most of these rookie quarterbacks seem to pass with relatively flying colors, especially Zach Wilson. But then when the starters get in there, especially when you're going up against some of the defenses that Zach Wilson is going up against, the, just the pressure has just been turned up. You can just see how much faster it is. And some of those fundamentals, particularly in his footwork, weighing a little bit. You, I, don't, I don't see him panicking as much as I saw Sam Darnold panicking, but you can see that he's more indecisive than he was. I mean, the game is moving fast for him. Probably, you know, This isn't necessarily a criticism. It's just more of a critique. You can just see the game is moving too fast for him right now. But, hey, it's his third game. You know? And you know, that lends maybe some criticism to the fact that the Jets don't have a veteran quarterback and you can't develop Zach. But it's like – I don't really know how much development Zach would outside of just saving him from this shithole mess of an offensive line and trying to install a scheme and maybe letting him learn the scheme a little bit more. His issues are just stuff that he's just, you're not really going to learn until you try it type of things. It's like, I think he needs to be on the field to try to get used to the speed of the game and then adjust. And then he can play more of that backyard football that we saw at BYU. But at this point, the game's moving too fast. And I don't think the floor is doing enough job of, of saving him. He's, he's putting too much on the rookie shoulders. Um, for Matt Sports underscore Fiend, our favorite, um, our, our favorite. I mean, let's just be honest. The guy who delivers the best questions here. He's three of three of him um, today. We'll start with the question about Denzel Mims. How can the coaching staff justify not playing Mims uh, more, given how egregiously inefficient and ineffective the offense has looked over three games? You know, I think maybe the Mims chatter is, in some respect, been blown out of proportion. Um, because, you know, look, we're not there in practice every day. We don't know exactly what's going on with Denzel Mims. We don't know if it's like, does this guy just not know the playbook? And is he messing up this frequently in practice? But what I do know is that this guy certainly provided the spark when he's out there last year. He deserves some sort of role. I'm not saying he has to be a starter. I'll trust Sala and LaFleur's judgment on that one. Because Also, Joe Douglas has a vested interest in him as well. This is his second pick he ever made as a general manager. So it's not like... I think Denzel Mims has fans in this building. I don't think the Jets are going to give up on Denzel Mims. And I do expect to see him on the, on the field relatively soon, especially if Elijah Moore misses time. But the fact that he has no package at all, especially in the red zone, it just seems like he's a guy who brings a spark. He did it week one, even if it was a bit of a blown coverage. 
he's just such an athletic freak that you, you want to see him on the field there and just see what you can do. And he's also the type of receiver that Zach Wilson really thrive with at BYU. And we talked about this when we still thought Mims was going to be a, a starter this year was that at BYU, Zach Wilson, half his throw, I mean, not half his throws, but a good amount of his throws, he was throwing it up to Dax Milne and they were great throws put in perfect places, not dissimilar to the one you saw week one against Elijah, you know, against the Panthers with Elijah Moore or this past Sunday, the, the, the throw across his body to Corey Davis, both of them were dropped. Denzel Mims excels at those physical, you know, tough jump ball type of catches. Zach Wilson seems to have a knack of, of throwing those 50-50 balls in a way that they're not 50-50, in a way that they are perfectly placed. And that's Mims' skill set. So it's like, okay, he doesn't know all three positions. You don't think he's good enough to start yet. Maybe his route running is not as good. But it's like, this guy should be getting 10 snaps at least every game. Um, so, Michael, what are your thoughts on the whole Denzel Mims situation? Yeah, I think in general, I've def- I've kind of sided with the coaching staff, just in the sense that I feel like um, I, I feel like a lot of Jets fans act like you know the team's out to get him and they're they're just being completely incompetent with this, but they see him every single day in practice, and we don't, and they know everything there is to know about him and his game. I think they would love for him to be playing, contributing, like you said, Joe Douglas. I used his second ever draft pick on him last year. I don't think there's any bias against him. I think if anything, there would be bias for him. So there's got to be something he's not doing that's leading to this. And we're probably not going to get that answer because that's how sports works. The fans don't get, you know, completely transparent answers because that's not fair to the players to throw them under the bus and tell the public exactly what's going on. We've gotten subtle hints about it, but I think that's really where I mainly sit on it you know there's got to be something he's not doing that is leading to this something legitimate um but i think that you know because the main reasoning that i think we've gotten reading between the lines or with you know subtle descriptions from or subtle answers from the jets has been you know the playbook and him not being able to run all the routes at multiple positions um i I can understand that i'm sure that is the reason and absolutely it makes sense because this is a complex offense with a lot of option routes and if he's not making the right decisions your your quarterback's going to throw picks trying to throw the ball to him so I can understand it but when you watch the way the Jets played in this game against the Broncos the receivers and there's that one play that a lot of people showed the clip of on Twitter um, where three guys um, in a bunch on the right side of the field all ran routes at the same depth over the middle of the field when guys are doing that, it's kind of hard to see that justification when the rest of the receivers playing above him are also consistently making mistakes um, in terms of their option route decisions. Um, and, and we've seen it throughout all three games, just miscommunications on routes, um, you know, just poor timing on routes between Wilson and the receivers. So it, it's harder to accept that reason when the guys above him are not necessarily just you know Einstein these routes making amazing reads and just understanding everything about the playbook because that hasn't really been happening so um, that's really where I stand it I get that there's probably a good reason for it but at the same time when the guys above him look the way that they do running routes it's uh, it's a little harder to understand yeah and the other thing with Denzel Mims too is it's like you know people say he's not a perfect scheme fit and I do think his route running is going to get better if he if he works at all at it but it's like, this guy is a great blocker. It's not like he he's just bringing linear speed. I mean, obviously he brings that linear speed and that jump ball ability and the, those contested crazy catches, but it's like, 
he's a very effective effective blocker and it's, that's valuable and you talk about the the failure of particularly the tight end of the running backs but you know receivers as well it's like getting a guy like Denzel Mims and you know I'm not saying he's, he should be a slot receiver he's clearly an ex-receiver which is Corey Davis's role which is why he's not playing but it's like if you can get Denzel Mims on the field and you can motion him inside and you can utilize his blocking ability, I mean, that's just a, a, a way to get him on the field. And I think also it's like, if he's impressing in practices, which is like, you know, maybe the, the coaches are, are, you know, just bluffing on that one at least, but it's like play Corey Davis at the Z play Denzel Mims at the X and, and put Elijah Moore in the slot. But I just, clearly they have their, their process. They don't believe he's, he's, you know, ready to hit the field, but it's like, we're seeing Jeff Smith and Braxton Berrios out there. I can't believe that Denzel Mims is that far behind him, considering how much of a better athlete he is than them. Um, so we'll see. I, I do anticipate Denzel Mims playing at some point uh, in the next two weeks. Um, another one from Matt Sports underscore Fiend. This O-line is going to get Zach Wilson killed at this rate. How much of a factor losing Makai due to injury had in this, this offensive line moving forward? Also, do you think they should be getting Zach more in motion on passing plays or install RPOs to alleviate the, the pressure from the defenses? I kind of just addressed the, the Zach Wilson one a, a few questions ago. I, I do agree with the RPOs. We didn't really bring that up, but I certainly think that is a, a very something Zach did very well at BYU, and he certainly has the, the release for it. So I, I, I think that's another example of a quick, easy concept that Zach Wilson, um, that the Michael Floor should be installing in the playbook. But as far as Becton goes, I mean, Michael, what are your thoughts on, on George Fan and, and Morgan Moses? A lot of the attention has been focused on the interior and the tight ends of the running backs. How do you feel like the tackles have played with, with Makai down? Yeah, in, interestingly, I don't – I mean, obviously, they'd be a lot better if you're playing. But um, with Beckton out, I don't think the tackles have been the biggest problem um, because George Fan has done a nice job at left tackle in, in the past – in pass protection, at least. Um, it, it's been the interior that's really been killing them. Um, but uh, Morgan Moses has been struggling a little bit in pass protection, good in the run game. But he did give up four pressures in each of the last two games, and he played Von Miller – in the last game so it's it's whatever everyone's probably going to give that up um but if Beckton were playing at left tackle and Fant were playing at right tackle the way that he's played the last two games and we did get there was a lot of scrutiny in the first game with the way Fant was playing at right tackle um and like you said earlier maybe he is more comfortable on the left side Um, that's what he signed to do yeah he signed to be the left tackle and then Beckton fell and they took Beckton yeah, so uh, th- that does make it kind of a weird fit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Becton were playing, I think they'd obviously be better. I think AVT would be helped out because um, Becton does do a pretty good job with picking up stunts and blitzes and stuff. Um, so I think having him next day. A- and another thing that Becton is great at is, like, he'll range over and he'll just plow the defensive tackle who's going against the left guard and just put him on the ground, matchups over. Um, he does that really well, which is something that Fant – Fan is really does not do a ton of so yeah, more I of think, a finesse guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. While Beckton will have that power, and he's great helping out, so um, they they definitely be a lot better. But I don't think the tackles have been the biggest issue the last couple of games. Yeah, I think also Beckton opens a lot more of the running game. You mentioned Fan has been solid in pass protection, but you know, <clears throat> Ferret Tucker's had some issues in, in pass protection, but in the running game, I feel like he's been solid. But you get Beckton next to him, and I feel like that's going to really open a lot of things up running to the left, which is something we didn't really get to see week one because they hardly ran left and then Becton got injured. Um, I think Becton returning is going to open up more in the running game than it's going to help Zach Wilson. But, you know, we'll see. Like you said, I think by the time he gets back, Elijah Veritek will have hopefully uh, quite a few games under his belt. Um, Maybe he'll be more comfortable. Maybe the other guys will have gotten adjusted the scheme a little bit better. 
Um, but certainly excited to watch, you know, Becton out there, Pancake and guys, uh, because that was like the best part of last season, which is even that horrible season. We got to watch 77 um, for a good bit of the season, just Pancake guys. And so whenever he gets back, you know, when the Jets are inevitably 0-8 or whatever, that'll be that'll be great to watch. Um, another one from Matt Sports underscore Fiend, which defensive players impressed you the most so far this season? Also, what do you think the ceiling is for this defense if it continues to develop? I, I mean, I think it's obvious. To, well, I think to me, as far as impressed goes, I'll go Michael Carter the second. I think to me that that's the one where it's like that's a day three corner, and Joe Douglas search credit for that pick. I mean, it's the, all the heat he's going under right now, for some reason, one reason or another, he knows how to, to you know the Jets have had some good luck at slot corner the last few years with with Brian Poole, Javon Goodry, and Michael Carter the second. Carter the second has been great. I mean. I don't think, you know, there's been many day three rookies that have come in for the Jets, played day one and been as impressive. He's, I think he's the Jets highest graded um, PFF defender. So it has to be him. I think Mosley's been good, although his PFF grade hasn't been great, but I just, I like what I've seen from him. He seems like, a, you know, the leader of this team and, you know, obviously John Franklin Myers has been great as well, but as far as expectation versus results in the field, Michael Carter, the second has been, has blown me away just compared to what his draft stock was not really anybody was talking about it to what we've seen on the field. Really nice find by Douglas through three weeks. I agree. I, I think he's been their best defensive player. Uh, yeah. I think he's been their best defensive player so far in terms of consistency. He just hasn't given up anything. His downfield coverage has been good. He's been targeted underneath a lot and pretty consistently he's stopped the ball as quickly as he could possibly stop it in the position that he's been in. So uh, his slot coverage numbers have been elite so far. We're only three games in, but we'll, uh, we'll see if he can maintain it. Um, but so far he's been really, really good. Um, and I, I think Mosley's up there too. I know his PFF grade is bad in the first game and this last one. Um, sometimes they have weird conclusions. I have no idea why he had a bad grade in this game uh, against Denver. And I still have to watch the film. It hasn't come out yet. So maybe there are some plays I missed, but I remember him making a lot of legitimately great plays, um, flying to the ball, making great stops. Right, that one like the yardage. Um, that was just elite. So uh, I think Mosley's been great the last two games. Um, I think Quinnen's been playing good. He finally got his splashy production uh, in this game. But Carter the second, definitely the most impressive. Uh, and in terms of the second part of this question, the ceiling going forward, like this has been a even, – even with this game, they weren't good. But even so, through three games, they're still like a borderline top ten defense. So imagine if you had Carl Lawson, if you had Jared Davis, if you had LaMarcus Joyner, if you had Vinny Curry – as part of this defense yeah. right now, how good they could be. So there is a lot yeah, of potential you, with this defense. Yeah, you mentioned Davis. The linebackers outside of Mosley is the biggest, you know, uh, weakness on this defense. And it's – Yeah. I don't want to say it's the most important position, but they play such a huge role in the type of defense Robert Saul is trying to to um, implement here. They just have so much pressure on them. And they're playing so many young guys out there that you, you can see the experience at times. But the hope is if you play these young guys that throughout the season they're going to get better and then you have – Maybe, you know, uh, I was going to call them veterans, but Michael and I have already had the debate, but guys who have had a full season under their belt of NFL, you know, experience, and they can apply that uh, in the future. For Matt, and I'm, so I'm excited to see Davis back and him playing next to Mosley. For Matt underscore Kev, or from at Kevin underscore Chew underscore, can you explain the main schematic play calling differences between the Jets and San Francisco and Green Bay's offense? Is the talent cap really that wide enough to explain how the same offensive scheme can be so unproductive on one team? 
and so dynamic in other teams. Uh, I mean, Michael, I'll turn this one over to you to, to start. I just, I want to touch on though. In Kyle Shanahan's first year, I mentioned they went 0 and 9, but it's like first game, they put up three points. Second game, they put up nine points. They had a 15 point game there, three 10 you know, point games in there, 13 point game, 15 point. It took time to install this type of scheme. We mentioned Arthur Smith. You've mentioned plenty of other offensive play callers. It's a rookie quarterback. And it's an offense still – it's been installed, but still in the infantile stages of its of its development. They haven't gone too deep in the playbook yet. So I don't think it's fair to judge three games of Michael Floor's offense to multiple seasons of Matt LaFleur and, and Kyle Shanahan. But, Michael, as far as the schematic play-calling differences, have you seen anything different in the, you know, the personnel usage versus those two teams? Well, I think one big difference is that they're not running as much play action as the not- – Niners, uh, as the Niners are still are and did during his tenure, um, they were consistently right up there, like top five in play action. Garoppolo is again this year. Um, and like I said earlier, the Jets are in the bottom five in terms of or bottom 10 in terms of play action this season. So um, that's one big difference, I feel like, because and I, I don't think they necessarily have the personnel to do what the Niners do. Um, I mean, they're running. Uh, two tight ends just as much as Niners do, but I don't think they could do it as effectively because they don't have George Kittle and they've had various other great blocking tight ends. Um, they've also had great playmaking receivers like Debo Samuel. Um, and they've had other fast guys who they can get the ball to and, and at running back as well. They've had a lot of speed with Mostert um, and also um, Brita as well. So they've had home run hitting running backs. I don't think the Jets necessarily have. Um, I mean, Elijah Moore could, he's not, Debo Samuel, I think in that role, in terms of that specific skill, making plays after the catch, but he can be great uh, at that sort of thing. They just haven't really tried it. So I think that's the biggest difference between what San Francisco has done. Not as much play action, not as much um, wide receiver handoffs and carries, and not as many screens. San Francisco's offense was really dialed up, and I think that's the biggest thing that we haven't seen yet that we thought we were going to is we thought we were going to see a lot of that schemed up production and it would make Zach Wilson's life easier. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of that. So I think that's the biggest difference. Um, and then Green Bay, I think, is kind of like a hybrid between what the Niners do and what the Jets are doing. I think the Jets are kind of taking the core philosophies in terms of personnel, in terms of alignment, uh, and really asking Wilson to be aggressive attacking downfield out of it. Um, whereas the Packers, I think, aren't as schemed up as the Niners are, but, but they're still run heavy. Um, they still call out play action, um, but they have Aaron Rodgers. Obviously it's so hard to compare to what they've been able to do. Um, but yeah, I think that looking at the Niners, I think they should try to get closer to what they do. Give Elijah Moore some more design touches, um, call more play action, get some more rollouts going. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing with the play action is interesting. And I'm wondering if it's just because, you know, whether it's the, the issues on, um, as far as the protection goes, that they're worried about the extra half second that'll take, whether it's having a rookie quarterback and not wanting him to, to play with his back towards the defense, but I, I'm surprised at their lack of use of play action. I guess it, it doesn't help that they're always in these second and third and longs and that the running game hasn't really gotten going yet. Um, but the scheme to production as well. I mean, that's something that San Francisco did so well that you you would imagine would help a rookie quarterback out. And it's not like the Jets don't have the personnel necessarily to do it when you have guys like Elijah Moore and when Jamison Crowder gets back. And hell, even Braxton Berrios isn't horrible on those those types of end arounds. 
um, from at Ben Thornhill 199. When can we expect the farewell to Greg Van Roten after his comments post game, who obviously threw his QB under the bus, Michael, very quickly, what are your thoughts on, on Greg Van Roten and his comments after the game and his play on the field? Yeah, well, I, I do think it was taken a little bit out of context because uh, he did say that, you know, the offensive line needed to play better. So he did address that as well. Um, and, and the answer about um, Wilson needing to get the ball out quicker, which is, you know, what he took um, scrutiny for was he didn't just randomly say it, it was in response to how a question about how Wilson could protect himself better. So it was taken out of context a little bit, right. but, but at the same time, I still think, uh, there, there could have been more accountability on his part. So I think he's been the also, worst. Also, you don't throw your rookie quarterback in New York under the bus like that. I mean, just know what the media is going to do. He's a Jets fan. I mean, he's from New York. He knew what, I don't know. I, I'm not saying he knew what he was doing. He's not malicious or anything. I agree. It was taken out of context, but yeah. still not the wisest thing in the world to do that to, to Zach. Yeah, I agree. Just, you know, the answer to that question should be, it's on us. We got protected better. That's it. Exactly. Shouldn't, shouldn't be saying anything. And even, I'll say, I'll give, you know, Greg, some credit. He's not wrong. It's not like what he said was wrong. Yeah, it's just that yeah. you don't say that because then you create the headline and you put that extra pressure on, on this rookie quarterback. Um, yeah. Mag- yeah. That's, that's exactly my point. Like it, it's definitely true, but you know, there, there are a lot of true things you could say about your teammates that you should never say to the media. Exactly. From at gigabyte gangst one, do you have any tips for getting a refund on a $99 game pass subscription after week three? If I can't get a refund, can I donate to someone in need that might want to rewatch their favorite team's performance, print the confirmation email and burn it. Please help. Um, yeah. If anybody wants uh, gigabyte gangst ones um, game pass subscription, we'll retweet it and you can, you can hit them up as far as game cast goes. I mean, it's totally not worth hundred bucks. I mean, as of right now, I, I used to really like it. I mean, they've got rid of all 22. They've gotten the rid of the ability to choose by, by drives and plays and it's just not worth it. But it is, it is fun to go back and rewatch the, the games, you know, especially when the season's concluded. So if they bring back all 22 and they bring back the ability to, uh, to you know, to sort by drive and click the individual plays, um, if you're a football nut, it, it's probably worth it. But right now, the way the Jets are playing and the, the, you know, the product that Game Pass is out right now, not worth it. From at Scott uh, Medscuddy, what's a worse decision knowing 12 personnel is going to be used so much and not getting comp and tight ends? or only drafting one lineman and not a single starting level into your offensive lineman. I'm going to say the 12 personnel because it, they knew what they were going to do and they've done it. And it's not like they didn't know they had no tight ends and there were plenty of tight ends available, whether it's Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry. I mean, there were guys out there and in the draft that they could have gone after. And, you know, you're not going to fill every single need, but tight end in this offense is a pretty huge need. And I just feel like in free agency, you know, I'm not saying you have to draft your tight end of the future, or even sign your tight end of the future. But the fact that they just signed Tyler Croft, who I like, but he's not a tight end number one. You should have at least signed two Tyler Crofts then because Ryan Griffin's awful. Dan Brown is awful. And I guess they were kind of banking on Herndon and then they, you know, took the best deal they could get for him. But I would have definitely brought in, uh, you know, another veteran tight end there. Um, but, you know, only draft. I think they needed to be more aggressive in the offensive line. And there's no reason Douglas, you know, I think he tried to get Tooney and obviously, you know, Tooney chose the chiefs and Douglas has been a guy who's very steady in his plan and he's not really going to divert it. And it's like, okay, if a guy chooses not to sign it, we're not going to go make a panic signing elsewhere, especially when we're in a position of rebuilding and not trying to win now, but it's like offensive line. It's like this, you, you trying to get your rookie quarterback killed. I mean, it's like, it, it, it just seems 
like the Jets yet again can't protect their their golden boy. And it's just like we knew Greg Roden Roten wasn't good. We knew George Fant wasn't great. Morgan Moses kind of fell into the laps, but you know, still I guess he deserves credit for that. I don't really blame him as much for McGovern, but I blame him for the right guard. I think they definitely should have brought him more. And even if you're not going to bring in another starter, if you're going to roll with Van Roten and you don't want to push, you know, more money towards the offensive line and guys you don't necessarily believe in, they should have brought in more depth. They absolutely should have just signed a few bodies and hope that one of them just isn't awful because Dan Feeney isn't good. And we have nobody that if one of those three goes down, or if you want to bench Van Roten or whoever, it's like, there's nobody that you can go in that you have any sort of confidence in. So for me, it's the tight ends, but the offensive line is, is, is close to being as bad. They definitely should have signed somebody right guard to start, but if not, they needed significantly more depth there on the interior. Yeah, I agree of these two. I think the the 12 personnel and the tight ends is worse because, you know, if you know you're going to run that offense, which obviously they did, then the fact that they could not use any of their cap space to upgrade that position makes this really makes no sense to me. There aren't a lot of things they did this offseason where I'm like completely baffled, but this is one of them. You knew you're going to have two tight ends on the field a lot. You knew you had the worst tight end group in the league. You know you have a lot of cap space. There are plenty of good tight ends in free agency. Why did you just sign Tyler Croft and then do nothing in the draft? Um, it, it That made no sense to me. Like, getting Tyler Croft, good signing. There's your tight end, too. Get someone better than him. Get Gerald Everett. Get Hunter Henry. Get Jonu Smith. Get even Jared Cook. Get Dan Arnold. Just get someone. Right. Um, so that really made no sense to me. And in terms of the O-line, I think – um the tight end is definitely worse because the the guards and free agency there there just weren't any options he went after Tooney to start the Chiefs to start though but Um, there were depth options um there I mean there were but honestly look you're not gonna everybody you sign is gonna be good but they signed Dan Feeney and that was their solution to the depth and I understand Alex Lewis retired but it's like there were guys out there that weren't great, but they were know. former starters. It, it, it was it was pretty bad. There weren't a lot of options. I just I just don't criticize. Maybe in the draft they should have emphasized it more. I just don't think. I think maybe the biggest criticism was I don't think they pursued center at all, and they could have signed a center, moved McGovern over to guard, which week by week only looks like it would be a better move because he just cannot pick up a stunt or handle a blitz for his life, even if he wants to go on Instagram and defend it in the comments with people. It's just, it's happening way too much. So I think that's a bigger criticism. There were, there were a lot of decent starting centers. They could assign one of them, move McGovern over, but um, they didn't go after Corey Lindsley. He banked on McGovern uh, playing better and uh, it's not panning out. So that's more my criticism. I think they could have done that. There just weren't many guard options. So I kind of get that. For Matt T.S. Johnson, 95. Should the Jets try the McVay way, trade draft picks for top talented, improved players? I mean, obviously the Jets aren't at this point yet. Um, but part of the reason you, you stockpile those assets is, and I'm not saying right now, but in the offseason, the Jets have so many you know valuable draft picks. Look, if there's somebody who's on the trade block, I, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm not for you know trading for a 29-year-old, but if there's you know some 24, 25-year-old star player who's unhappy, um, and you like him absolutely, uh, but you know going to full Sean McVay and trading all your your picks for the next five years and uh, that's not the Joe Douglas way. For Matt L Gringo underscore, how was Wilson's decision making? Was Wilson holding on to the ball longer by playing smarter? Were receivers open? I mean, Michael, I'm curious to get your take on this because it does seem like Zach was indecisive at times, but at the same time, his receivers aren't really getting much separation. 
So, and there weren't many times where I feel like Zach went necessarily with the wrong receiver. It just feels like he's been late uh, a couple times throughout the season. Yeah, I agree. I've been thinking about this and um, I still need to watch the Broncos game back again. Um, but at least the first two games, like I, and we talked about this in the preseason that it was the most positive thing about what he's doing, that the decision-making was good. Um, I don't feel like the decision-making has been, that bad like like Robert Sala talked to the media about he's got to play boring he's got to make the safe play sometimes or whatever I, I don't think that's actually what the problem is I think he's just saying a cliche easy answer to the media because when he's the most of the aggressive throws he's trying make sense he's just uh, late to get the ball out sometimes his mechanics have been off and he's missed throws when he has made the throws guys are dropping them so I, I don't think I've seen many throws where it's like, why is he doing that? He's got to check that ball down. Um, there are throws that have been there that he just, again, hasn't made or he's releasing it too late or the ball placement hasn't been good. So um, I think the decision-making for the most part, he's definitely made some bad decisions for sure. Um, for the most part though, I feel like he's making pretty good reads. It's just the timing is way off right now. And that's what yeah. he's, he's got to get better at uh, and, and just mechanically, I think, uh, which is pretty worrying. I think his accuracy and his footwork and mechanics have been more problem problematic than we thought, but decision-making wise, I think he's been pretty good and it's just holding the ball too long, which I think is a bigger problem yeah. than, than him being aggressive in terms of, Oh, you shouldn't be trying that, you know, deep corner route or that deep post or whatever. You should be checking it down. I think it's less of that more like uh, throw the ball away. Don't extend that play too long. Yeah, I think the game's just moving really fast and he's been indecisive and he's been late. But those are things that I think hopefully at least should be improved throughout the season as he gets more adjusted to this. Um, but yeah, I agree that the mechanics and the footwork and the accuracy has been mildly concerning. For Matt New York underscore Nick, can we expect design runs for Wilson? I don't I mean, I think the the you know, the read options on the goal line make sense. And I certainly would like to see Wilson use his legs at times because he's you know, incredibly quick, but with the groin injury and the injury risk it gets from running, I, I don't think so. Michael, what about you? Yeah, I don't think that's something that should be um, – I don't think that's something that should be in the playbook too much. I think kind of similar to Darnold, you could pull out some read options near the goal line, but other than that, I don't think it's something they should do too much. From MYJ fan 1897, do you think the Jets should sign a veteran QB ASAP and sit Zach and have him watch and learn from the sideline? I know Zach can lose his confidence, but if we keep Zach in there with the floor and his inept play calling, I think we will ruin him. I mean, I think it's too late to, to sign a veteran quarterback. I think there's some credence to the thought that if they brought in a guy like Nick Foles, you know, the, the whole quarterback, yeah, you know, uh, you know, having a competition between him and Foles, it's like you take reps away from Zach, which I think are valuable. I think a lot of the lessons Zach has to learn, he's only going to learn from being on the field. But, you know, not obviously at this point, it's too late. That ship is absolutely sailed. But in retrospect, could Zach have benefited from sitting for a few weeks, you know, knowing the playbook a little bit better, you know, being more comfortable in an NFL setting? Maybe. But I don't hate the Jets' decision. Uh, I think that a lot of the, 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 the growth that's going to come from this is going to be worth it. And I think he's just going to have to take his lumps. And I think he was going to take these lumps regardless if he had a guy in front of him or not. I think he may have saved a little bit in the beginning, but I also do think him getting all these reps is, is proven to be valuable. Uh, I actually don't think it would be that beneficial. I think they should have added one for sure, just to have him there. Right. Um, so we don't have know, to Mike, watch Mike White if he goes down. 
yeah it's like what is mike white telling him he can teach more to mike white than the other way around so i think they should have added one but i don't think sitting would be beneficial because to go off the last point i was making i don't think it's necessarily decision making that he's struggling with i think he just needs to get that timing down and that's only going to come with reps i don't think he's going to learn that sitting on the sideline like if he couldn't read the defense right now like if safeties were rotating and he just flat out could not see it he was throwing picks to linebackers who he had no idea were there underneath the ball um if he were you know making terrible decisions on rpos or whatever like things where he's completely lost and couldn't run the offense then yeah i think there'd be an argument for it but i don't see that i see a guy whose timing is off whose mechanics are kind of rattled right now behind the pressure uh and a guy who's still trying to figure out you know what can i get away with in the league which throws do i have to leave in college which situations could i maybe outrun the edge rusher and get to the sideline at byu but when it's you know brian burns or von miller i can't outrun that guy i gotta throw that ball away that's mostly what i see so i definitely see a guy who is benefiting from making these mistakes right now and wouldn't be able to fix the things that he needs to fix if he were on the bench matt justin underscore says underscores hey if you're Joe Douglas, are you waiting to make an O-line move until the free agency draft, or do you do it now if possible? Watching Wilson run for his life every week is going to kill the season for me. Truth of the matter is, good O-linemen are hard to come by, and none of them are going to be available. I mean, if you have a good O-lineman, you don't really let him go, especially in the middle of a season. It's possible. I mean, I, I certainly don't think it's – you know, you saw it with, like, Pat Elfline last season that he claimed him. I think something like that might happen for depth or whatever – and maybe they find some sort of diamond in the rough, but this is the starting offensive line. I mean, once Becton gets back, it, this is about as good as it's going to get. I mean, you just have to hope the scheme is going to get better. Zach's going to get the ball out better, and you're not going to see as much of these issues. But personnel-wise, it's it's too late. But I do think that the heat has been turned up on Joe Douglas, specifically at the offensive line. So I, didn't, I do think you're going to see him be very aggressive, especially if the O-line continues to struggle. Uh, I do think you're going to see him get very aggressive and add at least two starters. Um, maybe even three starters um, this offseason. Cause I think he just knows the value of it. he can't, he watched it happen to Darnold. He can't let it happen to Wilson for at least more than one season um, at from at busy. And this is actually our last question, Michael, unless you want to talk, touch on that one. I just figured that was a bit of a no brainer. Um, what is the average DVOA rank for the Panthers, Pats and Broncos? And how likely is it? We see a large improvement from offense going against Tennessee, who I assume is roughly 10 spots from the average of the three team we just played. I do agree. I think this is, the easiest defensive matchup they've had in the first four weeks. I don't think the Titans are necessarily easy. I think for the Jets defense, it's, I think it's going to be a long day. They get a bit of a break with no AJ Brown, but there's still Julio Jones and Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. I don't think the Jets win this game, but I do think there's a, a good chance that you see the Jets have their, their best offensive uh, performance of the season so far, which isn't saying much, but I would just like to see them have, you know, a competitive first half. That's honestly screw a whole game. I just want to see them come out of the gates, not, drastically slow like give me a first quarter touchdown keep the game somewhat interesting if you lose it in the second half whatever but if the Jets are going into another halftime you know down more than two you know more than two scores with zero points on the board it's just tough to watch um so Michael what are your thoughts on the Jets facing Tennessee's defense this Sunday yeah for sure I think this is uh, this is I that I definitely I don't know if they're gonna win this game because I don't know if the defense is gonna be able to keep up but offensively they're not, they're not winning this game uh, yeah come on yeah they're not winning come Probably. on <laughs> but but i think offensively they could i this is i think 
I'm not going to say they're going to score 30 points and explode, but I think we'll see a competent offense for the first time, at least. Um, because I think this is the first vulnerable defense that they played. So, um, and I love the question any, anytime stats are referenced. Um, DVOA rankings aren't out yet because um, they don't come out till after the Monday night game's finished. So, as of this recording, I don't know yet through three weeks, but in terms of EPA, which is estimated points added, pretty similar stat um, in, in some ways. Um, Carolina's number one defensively, Denver's third, New England seventh. So they've played three top seven defenses. And, and obviously part of that is that, you know, the Jets made them look better by playing bad. But Tennessee is 21st. Um, they've, they're not a team who we expected to be good defensively coming into the year. Uh, and they're not good. And they haven't played good competition either. And they're still that low. Um, they, I mean, they played Seattle and Arizona the first two games. But then they played the Colts this past game. Um, and, and, they, and they did a better job this week. Uh, um, but the Cardinals and Seahawks both put up 30 plus on them. Um, so I think this is a defense that can be exploited. They don't have a great pass rush. Um, they get exploited on the ground. So I, I think this is def- by far their easiest defensive matchup so far and a start of a string of exploitable defenses that they're going to play. After this, they got Atlanta, who in terms of defensive EPA is 19th. Then they have Cincinnati in a few weeks, who actually is showing a little bit of potential on defense. Um, Then the the Colts after that, who are near the bottom. So um, I think the schedule for the offense is going to soften up a little bit. And uh, if they obviously the offense can't perform against these types of defenses, then we can start getting a little a little bit more critical. Because right now, I think it is a very legitimate excuse. You know, the defenses that they played the first not not an excuse for being as bad as they have been, but you know, worth noting that they played really good defenses so far so um the bar lowers a little bit going forward with some of these defenses starting with tennessee um and the time is now to start showing some promise all right michael i think i think that's a a good place for us to stop um we will have a podcast later this week talking a little bit more in depth on the titans matchup i think that was a nice little preview um we appreciate everybody for listening sorry about last week again you can follow us at cyjpod on twitter michael at michael underscore nania myself at ben w blessington Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Michael, any last words? Um, Ben, you're going to the Titans game, right? You're going to no, drive four hours. I was going to do that. To see the, Patri- the Patriots game scarred me. I, we didn't get a chance. To, but my last game before – I went to the Patriots game, the home opener. Great experience at MetLife, by the way. The loudest I've heard it. Zach Wilson getting introduced to that crowd was, was a pretty special moment. And then that you know Marcus May sack was pretty great as well. But after that – Pretty awful ex- experience. I mean, the, the crowd was great, but just the game itself. And my game, but the last game I went to before that was the Seeing Ghost game. So I think I'm done attending games in my life um, for, for a while, at least any games against New England. Because I've seen, before, I've been to four games. The first game was 2012 at Seattle. The Jets lost that game. I mean, at least Mahomet Wilkerson had a touchdown. Then I went to 2016 hosting New England, which is actually the best game I've been to. The Jets were up 10 in the fourth and then blew it with Fitzpatrick. But at least I got to see uh, Quincy Noon was butt touchdown. Then the scene goes. At least you got to see a touchdown. Exactly. At least I got to see a touchdown because the last two times the the Jets have been, for for the most part, shut out. So, um, yeah, I'm done attending games in my life. So so you've never seen a win? I've never seen a win. 0-4. I know. It's been awful. The last last win I saw was when I went to Cleveland in 2016. I saw them play there with uh, Fitzpatrick. 2016 or 2017? Oh, with Fitzpatrick. Oh, wow. Fitzpatrick against McCown. With Revis getting toasted by Terrell Pry. That is, that's a memory right there. Wow. Well, I, I do expect to go to 
hopefully a few games next year, but we'll see how this one rounds. Hey, look, if the Jets turn it around, make it some, maybe make it interesting. Maybe I'll go back down to MetLife for, for another game later this season, catch a game with you, Michael, but yeah, I'm, I'm retired from MetLife for, for a while, but everybody, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Don't let the Jets ruin your life, but go Jets.